Now, I know people might look at your Norwich stint and think you only came in. Well, you did, obviously. You came in in November 2006 from Stoke, initially on loan, and then obviously became a permanent deal. But would I be right in saying, Luke, that, you know, at the start of that season, in the summer, obviously that was with Peter Grant who, you, you, who brought you to the club. But was there a bit of interest from Nigel Worthington as well back in that summer? Yeah, um, the Norwich came in for me while I was at Stoke and Tony Pulis was obviously the gaffer at Stoke and I sort of asked for permission to speak to, to Norwich and go there purely for the reason that I was living in Stoke on my own while my wife and children were back home and it was an opportunity just to get back down south but the manager told me that I was an important part of his plans of that squad moving forward at Stoke so it was... Um, a no-go at that time. Yeah. But as time went on, he sort of noticed that I was maybe struggling a little bit away from the pitch in terms of the travelling I was doing up and down and sort of not really having that much structure in my life. In fact, that I was always travelling and staying up half the week. He saw it was the best thing for me. And it looked, Tony Pulis was an incredible man. And to, to look away from the football side of it and the other side of things to let me go to Norwich when, like you say, Peter Grant took over. It was, uh, I was really grateful for him for that. Yeah, and I think just in that spell between, obviously, the initial approach and eventually going to Norwich, you, you probably won't remember because you played so many games as, as a pro, but you did play Norwich and scored, I think. You beat them 5-0. Um, yeah, I remember it well. Yeah. I remember that game well, in fact. I remember playing quite well. I think I set a couple of goals up and scored one. And then it was after that I spoke to Peter Grant after that game and sort of let him, he's sort of said that he'd be interested yeah. in taking me and I let him know about obviously the situation of wanting to go back down south around East Anglia where I'm from so it, it worked out well in that respect that the, the move didn't end up being as good as what I hoped it would be yeah but that said I mean it was only a month or so later and um, you know if you're going to pick a game and if you're a Norwich player or fan to make your debut Ipswich away is, is a pretty spicy one um, I'm sure you got a sense pretty swiftly that in this part of the world that that is a big game. You know they're not they're not your city rivals of a Manchester or, or, or Merseyside, but because they're, they're the two biggest probably in North well in Norfolk and Suffolk. I know you're a Cambridge fan, didn't you, mate? So I was I was a bit loath to say they're the biggest club in East Anglia. You might have something to say about that. <laughs> but yeah, so, obviously uh, being brought up in Cambridge, so I went and walked. Ipswich at, at times as a child, went to watch Norwich at times as a child, you sort of understand yeah. that it is around here, around East Anglia, it is a massive, massive game. And to have that as my debut was obviously hugely exciting to go into the game against Ipswich as in my first game. Yeah. And, and what um, I think I probably know what you're going to say at this, but what do you remember of that first game? Um, you know, because pleasure and pain probably doesn't come close, does it? No, no. The, I was so buzzing to, to have signed for Norwich to be back home. I just felt sort of settled and ready to really make a mark. And obviously, I remember the game. We were under the cosh, but I think I scored and sort of against really against the run of play. I scored to make it 1-0. And obviously, to score in your debut, it don't get any better than that. Against Ipswich playing for Norwich, the crowd was singing my name. It was yeah. a dream come true, really. Then I think we were up against it a bit and they sort of, scored and then scored again and then just remember getting sort of whacked off the pitch and sort of going down with a had a terrible cut on my knee, dislocated my shoulder, was winded at the time, it couldn't have been much worse and remember spending the next couple of days in Ipswich Hospital so it was, um, like you say, it's certainly a 
sweet start turning into a very bitter first game for me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as you say, that challenge, and unfortunately it would have would go on to have repercussions in terms of the length of time you were at. Did, did it feel at the time it was a bad one? You must, you know, as a professional player, you get challenged and, and you kind of probably, your body over the years, you get hardened to it and you, you can know what you can run off and what you can't, but did you feel straight away, oh, this could be a bad one? No, it was such, it's probably the strike, like you say, you do as a footballer, I've had bad injuries before where it's, I've done my knee or whatever, and you know, oh, this is this is a bad one. But yeah. how it was because it was so, it weren't a typical injury where I sort of collided with some sort of microphone for Sky or something. I think I got shoved into, and the first thought was that horrible feeling of being winded. And then I, as I sort of caught my breath, I felt agony and a real pain. I had a problem with my shoulder where it sort of was prone to dislocation. Yeah. But I could manage to get it back in myself, so I pulled that back in, and then I remember distinctly, really, Adam Jury saying to me, don't look down. And obviously my first thought then was to yeah. look down and there was just a, a gaping hole in my knee, really, where you could sort of see the bone through the cut. And then, then I felt the pain in my knee and then it was, I did sort of realise I was in a bit of trouble yeah. so, after I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, you say that, so initially you are in Ipswich Hospital. I mean, how did it sort of move on from there? I mean, obviously then did you get yourself back to the sort of Norwich area and surgery and that aspect of it? I went in, I remember sitting in the, in the treatment room at the, um, at Ipswich and sort of where the doctor had come in and tried to stitch my knee, but because it was so, the cut was quite wide, he was struggling. And I remember just crying because I was so emotional about obviously playing football, high on emotion, I was sat with, the, the girl that was the masseur at Norwich, then one of my ex-teammates who was at Ipswich at the time, Gavin Williams, come in and spoke to me. And I was just, it was just felt such pain in my knee and obviously the pain of emotionally knowing that what started so well, how long is this going to be? And then I was got surgery more or less that night, I think, at yeah. Ipswich General Hospital because they were worried about infection and whatnot. And then obviously I had to stay in for a couple of days where they make sure that nothing is infected and then I probably went back to Norwich to the training ground to see the physio about probably had a couple of days at home so probably about five days after the game yeah and and, and, and as it turned out you know looking at when you got back playing I think that was in the November of 206 and you came back for three games I think in, in March uh, and that was your season then so I mean, where was your head at, at that point? The fact that, you, you know, you'd had this four-month period off and you got back playing again, did you think, OK, right now, that's that behind me now and now I can kick on in my Norwich career? Was that the mindset going into more so the start of your second season? Because you'd obviously got back on the pitch and just got a little bit of game time there towards the end of your first season. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot over the years, over my football career, I had a, a quite a lot of injuries like most players do, but always sort of, was quite positive about coming back and coming back stronger. So that was certainly the case. And obviously I come back and I think got a little knock on my thigh when I come back, like a little pulled muscle at the end of that season. So never really yeah. got back playing. But obviously that sort of starting afresh the next season being and being ready to go. Yeah. And, 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 and as it turned out, again, it's the life of a footballer. You know, the guy who brought you in, Peter Grant, I think we've, we've moved on to seven, eight season now. And, you know, by October, he, he's moved on, hasn't he? And and 
you, I don't know if you remember, Luke, but you were on the bench for that final game. It was a Monday night game. I think it was QPR. It might have been on the telly. Um, and and I think Peter pretty much after the game um, went and saw the board and, and said he felt that was it for him. And I think it was confirmed the following day. Um, I mean, what do you remember about that period? Again, I know as a, as a player like yourself who had a very long career, those ups and downs, unfortunately, are part and parcel. It's not nice to see, but... I mean, was was that a surprise to you? And how did you feel? Because obviously it was Peter who'd, who who brought you in, and I know you'd worked with him before at West Ham, hadn't you? Yeah, obviously Grant. He was a a great fellow, like a really brilliant man. I think um, obviously he was a fantastic playing career, brilliant coach. But that time at Norwich, it was it weren't just. I think there was that period of time where no manager could really seem to get it right there yeah. until I, I think Paul Lambert went in yeah. sort of really drove the club on again but it was I remember the game at QPR I can't remember if we got beat was it 1-0 one 1-0 one nil, mate yeah. One, yeah. One nil, and I just remember it was an awful the winning goal was so scrappy and it was just a a terrible game and I think we'd have been on a real bad run and it was sad for Mike, me personally sad to see Peter go because and I think he was a popular it weren't as if the players had turned or anything like that because he was a, pop, a fantastic man, and I think the players had a lot of time for him. But for one reason or another, it didn't work out for him, and it yeah. was a real shame. I, th- I think I've seen um, an interview he's done since, actually, and and he said when he went to the board, D- Delia was you know adamant she didn't want him to go, and, and she wanted him to rethink, and you know maybe it's a mark of the man that he maybe felt it was time for somebody else to have a go. But and again. In football, you don't tend to get that time, particularly as a coach and a, and a manager. But do, do you think, you know, having known the guy so well, you talked about, and he's always always been regarded as a very, very good coach, do you think with time he, he, he could have turned that around and put the club on a, an upward pro- trajectory? Yeah, oh, well, it's, it's hard to say because I think, obviously, with the results and that, the players lose a lot of confidence. I think the staff lose confidence, the manager loses confidence. So I think he made that decision for him, for him his life really I don't think he was enjoying it at the time obviously the results weren't going well so I think given t- it's hard to say given time if he would have got it right I'm sure if he was 100% committed and he wanted to do it then he, he could have come again but I think he made the the decision of what, what he wanted to do for him and what he thought he was best for the football club at the time yeah and as you say, I mean, and that then did lead to a period. I think Jim Duffy took it on for a few games, and then obviously, I think Glenn Roder comes in. And unfortunately for you, the theme of your Norwich career again. Yet you, you touched on, you know, the, the the debut, and and it was the knee mainly, but the shoulder as well. And that was a reoccurring thing for you, wasn't it? Because I think not long after Glenn Roder took over, the decision was made that you had to go and, and get it done, didn't you? The shoulder surgery, and that was another four four month layoff. Yeah, that wasn't that was a sack. Obviously, uh, Glenn Rhoda come in. Now, probably that was a little spell where I had a, probably a month where I got myself fit and I was probably playing the best football I did at Norwich, albeit yeah. on a short period of time. But the shoulder situation was starting to get stupid, really, with the fact that it was a reoccurring thing that had happened more or less every day in training, and then I'd be able to carry on, but it'd be really so I didn't. I, it wouldn't. Really, I could still play and get away with it, even if it, it did pop out. Because obviously, it's not something, it's your arm, it's not your leg. Yeah. I could still do it. But I think it got to the point where you got a, the physio and the surgeon thought you've got to think about the long-term 
uh, like problems that that could cause of multiple dislocations later on in life. So it was decided that I had to have that surgery really, really good. It was disappointing because, like I say, I was starting to get a bit of a steady, decent, good enough form going at the club then. Yeah. And and, of course, and again, similar to, to that first season, you, you managed to get back. You played a couple of games, I think, in the April of that season. Um, and then, and, and then obviously, then moving into what would have been the, the third season you'd been there, the start of that. But, you know, you look at it, you, you, it ended up kind of with you not that long into that 8-9 season going off to, to MK Dons. I mean, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that spell? It, and it just players, other players had come in and the manager was looking at different things or, or, or did you just feel maybe you need to get out and play some games because of the because of the injuries you'd had? Yeah, I think it got to the point where like it was just in my head that things aren't haven't worked out for me here and it's time yeah. to get a fresh start. I think I went and spoke to the manager and said, like, I think it's time for me to to sort of move on and find something. He did sort of want me to stay and be part of the squad, but I don't think I was really convinced that I was going to start the games or maybe be in and out and I thought it's time for me to it was such a bad spell at Norwich in yeah. terms of staying fit that he just sort of in my head it was time fresh start do start, find another club I spoke to my agent and obviously MK Don's where I live in Cambridge it was it weren't far away it was ideal for me a new club lovely stadium and it was just an opportunity that I thought that, that interested me and it, I knew that Obviously, I was dropping down a league that I'd, I'd, play, I'd be in the team, obviously, as a new sign, and then it was up to me to, to stay in the team and make it work, really. Yeah, and, and to be fair, you, you look back now and, and, you know, again, loan initially, then it was made permanent. You went on, you played five years there, you made 200 league appearances, twice player of the year. So, you know, with hindsight, that, that looks like that was the right move for you in your career. You must, must feel that now. Yeah, I, I don't really look at things like that because, like, you don't know what would have happened if I went somewhere else or went so like it's one of them where it was the most settled I've ever been in my career. I love playing for MK Don. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, it's a brilliant stadium, great people, family was made to feel so welcome whenever they were at the game, that sort of thing. It was a, it was a lovely place to play and I was really grateful that they gave me the opportunity to play there. Yeah. But do you, as you say, you look at your career, you look at any professional footballer's career, and they're very, very fortunate if you if you don't have those injury problems. I mean, do you now when you do tend to look back at your Norwich spell? Do you just is it what might have been if you hadn't have been injured, or can you can you sort of process that that's just part and parcel of it, and and that period of your career was just an unfortunate one where you you never seemed, as you say, to be able to be clear of injury to get a, a run in the team, show what you could do. Yeah, I think that is part and parcel of being a footballer. I don't think I'd have got no regrets whatsoever. I think all the injuries that I've had have sort of, it gives you an opportunity to become a stronger person, become a better person. So I wouldn't change any of that. Obviously, it was disappointing. I never got going at Norwich, but I'd never say anything against I can't speak highly of the football, what a magnificent football club Norwich is, the way that it treated me despite all the injuries I've had. I couldn't have asked for any more. They still signed me because they'd agreed to, but they didn't have to yeah. after I got a serious injury on my debut when I was on a three-month loan or whatever it was and then still signed me on the contract yeah. that they did. So it was it was a tough period, but a period that's made me a 
hopefully a better person and a stronger person. Although footballing wise, it was um, it was a struggle. Yeah. And what, what about the the group of lads you you were there with? I mean, you, you look at the names and Darren Huckabee and Dion Dublin, Adam Drury. There's some big characters there. I mean, I mean, as a group of lads in the change room, how did you find that? Was it was the banter pretty good? Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It was a massive thing for me because, like you said at the start, it, I played with Dion Dublin, who was one of my heroes. When I was, was he? Yeah. Growing up, so that was a dream come true. Darren Huckabee, like what a incredible player but more importantly what a fantastic group of people it's a, a lovely football club the staff the players it was just um like it despite i was never got too down about being all these injuries because no no matter how long i was out for i was still was around that environment of these this dressing room where like you say the players were top-notch and some fantastic characters in there. Yeah, and, and, and as you say, um, I mean, you touched on it there, probably just after that period, Rhoda goes and, and, and Brian Gunn had a go at it, and then, and then Lambert was the one who, who really just lit the touch paper a little bit, and, and then, you know, in, from then till now, it, it's never been, you know, sort of a flat line, and they've had four or five promotions and two relegations, you know, they've been at Wembley in a playoff final. I, I mean, as a, as a club, looking at it with a bit of distance, I mean, I mean how do you think... They're set up now. Obviously, nobody knows what's going to happen in, in the current climate in terms of this season. But but as a club, do, do you when you look at it from a distance, you think yeah they're doing it the right way, and you know they try and promote young players and and do it a bit more organically maybe than some other clubs who, who just want to throw money at it. Oh, definitely. I think they've. I think Norwich have always tried to do things well. Obviously, the the chairman, the owners are wonderful people, and it was um it was great to see them the rise that they've had. I think I always remember when. Paul Lambert was in charge. I think I played against him a few times in League One. They went up then the championship. And it was that they'd always score late. It was incredible. The amount of goals. Yeah. I remember watching the, the TV show on a Saturday night and Norwich always seemed to score in injury time. And that's that fighting spirit. And now, obviously, they've kicked on again to another level. I, remember, I watched the first game against Liverpool and they played some brilliant football, but just couldn't, obviously, Liverpool are an incredible team. They couldn't yeah. sort of hold out in the end. But it's brilliant to see, obviously, living around East Anglia. I think it's so important and so brilliant to see teams in East Anglia in the Premier League because it brings so much of a, a buzz around the place. And Norwich, even if they're in League One, they still their fans deserve it because they're there whatever league they're in and they deserve these good times that they're having now. And hopefully... Who knows what's going to happen this yeah. season? But there's obviously more important things to worry yeah. about than that. But I can't. I see Norwich on a. Despite what happens, they've still got the right foundations in place to be successful. Yeah, and just sort of to to bring bring this sort of full circle. I mean, I mean, you, your career as a whole, everybody knows. You know, you start. I mean, what an unbelievable ground, and you had it. Manchester United, Sir Alex Ferguson. But, but but you know you went on despite the injuries you played like five hundred professional games and played in the Premier League, Champions League, um, all the way down the tiers as well. I mean, as a career, any any regrets at all when you look back now, or did you think no, I maximised everything that I had, uh, I gave it everything day in day out, and I, I wouldn't change anything really. Maybe maybe obviously the injuries aside. Yeah, no, I don't. I've got I've got no regrets. I think there's always. You could have done a little bit more at times. There's probably times as a young man where you're not doing the right things. But I think that's all part and parcel of growing up and becoming what you are. Like obviously, 
you're a footballer, but more importantly, you're a human being as well. So I wouldn't. I've got the only regret I think I've got is when I signed. Well, probably even more than that. I was not inclined to push myself at school, so I never got any sort of education okay. really, and was yeah. probably allowed to get away with it because I was a big time Charlie who come from a little village in South Cambridge that was playing for Man United and was probably yeah. not pushed enough in terms of school but that was obviously my responsibility so that's the, yeah. the regret I've probably got of not educating myself more as a young man and then maybe making more time as a professional football obviously you've got a lot of time on your hands where you could really build for the future during that time so yeah. that's probably the bit of thing that I'd change if I went back if I could turn back time. Yeah. Uh, there was just one thing I wanted to ask you about because I, I noticed, again, on, on, on your Twitter feed there that you, you the last sort of week or two, you'd just re- reproduced uh, like an old magazine article when you was at United, like, shoot, I mean, for people of my age anyway, probably younger people won't know what I'm talking about, but like those type of magazine interviews. And I didn't realise until I read it there that you were actually at Arsenal for a couple of years, weren't you? And then obviously you ended up going to United. How, how did that all, all come about? You know, A, the Arsenal thing, and then... Why United, or that's probably obviously a silly question if United come for you, but you know, that was you know, to have two massive clubs uh, and be be associated with them, that must have been quite was a difficult decision to be made when you you were sort of 12, 13, 14. Um, it, it wasn't really, I was, oh, it was completely different back then to what it is now in terms of the academies. So, I, I played signed for Arsenal with an under. 13 player yeah. just coming out of playing grassroots and for East Anglia bought like the local teams and area teams and got they had links with them and got scouted there and obviously a fantastic football club would go up there once a week on an evening they had an indoor area at Highbury and train there and then play from on a Sunday once you get to under 14 the big part of the football back then was the schools football so I played for Cambridge schools on a Saturday morning and I started scoring a lot of goals and that's where I got scouted to go up to Manchester United. So I went up there for a trial, spent four or five days up there with 10, 12 other young kids from around the country because obviously Man United at the time had the pick because yeah. it was the most amazing football club to be at. And from the second I went there, I just I was never going to go anywhere else <laughs> because of that environment and how you made to to be felt. I'm not saying Arsenal, obviously Arsenal was very good, but yeah. Man United just felt like something else and I just instantly fell in love with being there and that was when it, why I signed for them. So as a signed for them as a 15-year-old and the first, until I'd left school, I'd just go up there on a Friday for the weekend and then when I left school, I'd move up there full-time yeah. as a apprentice. Yeah. And, and, and one other thing about your playing days, because I, I literally just heard Gary Lineker interviewed there over the weekend, and he was saying the only thing he misses from not playing is the buzz when you score a goal. He says that's the only thing he can't recreate. He's saying now, in what he does in the media, he still has that sense of being part of a team and the camaraderie and the banter, but he says that's the only thing that nothing he ever does ever in other parts of life will ever come close to that buzz you get and and, you know, that feeling from the crowd and that. I mean, is there is there something similar or is there another thing of not being able to play that you really miss and, and you know, you probably won't be able to feel that again? Yeah, it's probably, probably just all of it. I think, obviously, I didn't score many goals. Like, I think Gary Lineker's got more experience <laughs> than that than me. But I think, I think it, is, um, it is tough just sort of filling, 
filling that void, I think you sort of, I understand now I went into coaching at a professional club and it was, you sort of, I just sort of fell into it. There's some great aspects of the job, but it weren't really a passion. I didn't love it like I did loving football, but then I've probably got to understand now that whatever I do is probably not going to reproduce that, but it's finding something in your life that is as, as close to, to that as possible, that feeling of yeah. doing something that you love doing. So yeah. it is, um, I do understand what he's saying. And obviously, in most other industries, in most other jobs that you do, there is still loads of elements of working in a team, which as a football, having a career in football can really help you to be a positive part of that. But it is, it is hard coming to the end of a football career and then, then it's sort of that, what do I do now? Yeah. Yeah, and to be fair, to finish there, and you you touched on it, the coach, and you've obviously done obviously bits and pieces there with Cambridge at the academy, sort of lower age group levels, but you're now involved with, with the football fun factory as well. Just tell us a little bit about that, Luke, as well. Yeah, so the football fun factory is an organisation that I've got involved with the two co-founders, James Cutting and Johnny Martin, two guys that I used to work with at Cambridge as well. And it's just sort of, it's about children of all age and ability just playing football and having fun purely about the enjoyment of the game and sort of promoting what good things football can bring like teamwork hard work sportsmanship and sort of celebrating them them sort of things more than the best player scoring all the goals yeah. it's about it's just about people whether you're really good or it's the first time you've ever played just falling in love with the game and making it not about coming professional football, but something that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. Something you, a real positive first experience of football. So it's a really um, pleasing thing. It's a, a nice thing to do. And it, I do uh, my part of it in the community where I grew up, like in the little village where I went to school and around there. So right. it's just sort of giving a little bit back to the the community that obviously gave me everything as a child. Yeah, that's that's fair play to you for that, Luke. I mean, it, it, do, do you think you'll stay, if you wanted to sort of di- differentiate maybe on the non-professional side of coaching, or do you think maybe down the line that might be something you would you would pick up and, and, and explore a bit more, or you're just very happy doing what you're doing now on the coaching front? Yeah, so at the, at the moment, my, what I, my ambition is to sort of grow this, our ambition is to grow it yeah. sort of nationwide, worldwide, so it's sort of as many children as possible that want to participate in football can walk to a session that they can do. So having as many accessible fun factory sessions around the country right. as possible. It does, that sort of business side of it does interest me quite a lot. It's sort of nice to have something different to be fair. It does excite me a little bit more than being a coach at the moment, but it's still early days. I, I can't, at the moment, getting back into football in terms of coaching yeah. it doesn't appeal to me a lot, but I changed my mind so often, you never know, <laughs> anything could happen. Yeah, well, listen, mate, it goes without saying, um, best of luck on your, on your coaching front. And uh, I, I, I meant to say before we started, uh, you know, doing, doing this, uh, of all the different challenges in this this sort of difficult time we're all facing now to to pass the time, you know, toilet rolls and what have you. If anybody wants to go on your Twitter feed and see you doing keepy uppies while reciting uh, Rudyard Kipling's if poem, that is that is definitely something I haven't seen anybody else on the social media doing, mate. So hatch yeah, upon that. To be, 
That's the hardest thing I've ever done. I've had to tip it. I've done it. To, my mate was Johnny Martin was recording it. I worked with in the football fun factory, and I got all the way to the end on the first take, but he didn't press record. I was confused. <laughs> oh it no! Took me about another five times. It was so exhausting trying to yeah. do two things at once. Uh, did you did you know the poem then, or did you have to like actually learn how to recite it, or is it or the, uh, is it somewhere out of shot and we can't see it? No, no, I know it. I do know it. it's my favourite poem. I do sort of know <laughs> it off by heart. When I was younger, I um, always so I was always stuck in my mind. So yeah, great. To be able to read it as well, that would have been. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the next challenge, mate. Find a poem yeah, you've got to yeah, read mate. as well as doing keep me up these, yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, Luke. Thanks for your time, mate. All the best. Cheers, pal. No worries, buddy. Take care, mate. All the best, mate. Cheers, Luke. See you, mate. Yeah, bye, bye.